0: You're listening to Mysteries Still Unsolved, a podcast where we discuss unsolved mysteries both past and present. I'm your host Rochelle. Today we will discuss the Diatlov Pass incident. Hello, hello, and welcome back to Mystery Still Unsolved. If you are a Mystery Still Unsolved veteran, welcome back. I have missed you. If you are new around here, I'm happy to have you join us. Thank you all for being so patient while I got over my chest cold last week. As I have gotten older, every time I get a head or chest cold, I will 1000% lose my voice. Um, I like to say that Marge is passing through and Marge, let me tell you about Marge. She is a no-nonsense gas station attendant who has been smoking two packs a day for the last 30 years. She's gruff, she's busy, and she doesn't have time to deal with your crap, so you better step off. <laughs> but Marge, 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 she has left me. Um, if you listen real close, you might hear a faint whisper. Of where she once was but for the most part margie marge marge has passed through for now but she'll be back don't you worry about that Marge always comes back uh, today we are going to discuss the mystery of the the diatlov pass incident and it's honestly one of my favorite cases because there are just so many avenues that one can explore. Um, we will cover the most common theories, and I'm going to try my best to be devil's advocate here and try to disprove how there's no way in hell that that's what happened. Um, but before we get started, i just like to do a teensy weensy bit of housekeeping. Um, if you are not following me on Instagram at um, you should be. If you had You would have known why I didn't post an episode last week because I did pop on there in the stories, and y'all who were lucky enough got a glimpse of Marge. (laughs) You can also view pictures and sometimes videos of the cases that we cover. You can comment on my post and share your own thoughts, theories, and opinions. You can always shoot me a DM and let me know about a case that you would like covered here on the podcast. And if there's enough to work with, you might just hear your episode on a future show. Um, Plus, I mean, on Instagram, you can kind of just like hang out with me. And I don't mean to toot my own horn or anything, but I think I'm pretty cool. (laughs) Never. (laughs) No, I'm not cool. Um, I would just love to chat with you. So you should definitely follow me on Mysteries UnSolved on Instagram. But if Instagram isn't your thing don't worry. I have a website. It's www.mysteriestillunsolved.com. There you can binge my now 84 episodes. Can you freaking believe it? 84 awesome, incredible, edgy, content-packed episodes. Yes, it's true. Um. Okay, okay. I know why you all came here, so that's why I wanted to just blast past through the housekeeping, and as Nacho Libre would say, "Get down to the nitty gritty." Um, in January 1959, nearly 4,000 miles away from where I currently sit in my daughter's walk-in closet, uh, nine mountaineers from the Ural Polytechnic Institute decided to embark on a perilous journey through Russia's Ural Mountains. Most of the crew, which included seven men and two women, were experienced mountaineers. Their leader, a man by the name of Igor Dyatlov, already had seven similar missions to his name. This certainly wasn't Igor's first rodeo. The group of nine wanted to take a whack at traveling through the mountain pass known as the Ortotech, which in the local Mansai language means, don't go there. See, that's when I would be like, "Nah, I'm out. the no, this mountain is literally called "Don't go there, so I won't be going. Thank you. But they wanted to go and just prove to themselves that this mountain could be conquered. They were supposed to just go and study the mountain. Um, kind of just show themselves that they could withstand the cold and the desolation of the trek and come back. And during my research, I kept reading that they were studying and doing research. And I don't know if this was like a project that the nine of them were working on their own or if it was like attached to some sort of project for school because all nine of them went to the same institute. On the train ride to the mountain's trailhead, the Nine encountered another fellow mountaineer. He was like a little awkward and shy, but when he heard about what the Nine were doing, he became intrigued and asked if it would be possible for him to join them. Witnesses who saw this awkward encounter play out in real time said that the group of Nine were skeptical of this new outsider, but ultimately decided to allow him to come with them. So on January 27th, with a new member to their group, the now group of 10 eventually made it to the trailhead and they began their perilous journey. The very next day, however, one man decided to turn back alone due to pre-existing health uh, issues like conditions, mainly a congenital heart defect that was making it difficult for him to breathe. Um, And I would just like to say that he dodged a major bullet there. And he is actually known as the only survivor of the incident, although he wasn't even present at the incident. And that's the last of what we really know for certain. A few weeks later, when it was clear that the crew might be in danger or worse, a search and rescue team was deployed to look for them. And if you're like me, you heard that and you were like, Why on earth would it take them three weeks to decide for this group of people? But you see, there had actually been a plan in motion. Igor Dyatlov was supposed to send a message to a friend on or around February 12th to just kind of like let him know that all was well and that they had made it to the village on the other side. So until February 12th, no one even thought to worry. Then when the 13th of February rolled around and then the 14th came... With no communication, this friend reported all nine of the hikers missing. When volunteers came upon this scene, not only did it not look very promising, the scene left them utterly confused. The tent had been torn to pieces. It was shredded and there was no sign of an avalanche. And this group of nine must have fled in a hurry because Many of them had left behind their socks, their shoes, their hats, their coats, and even just like clothing. So a lot of these people were were probably naked out here in, in the wilderness. But where was everyone now? It didn't take long to find some of them. Upon finding some of the bodies in the desolate and harsh terrain, they had even less answers and an infinity of questions about what exactly had happened to them these questions have haunted sleuths like me and you for decades. So let's get into what the search and rescue team actually found, because I know I've been kind of vague up until now, but I'm going to get into it. I'm going to get into it. For starters, the tent was nowhere near where it was supposed to be. It was not on the track that they were supposed to be, like the trail they were supposed to be following. It appeared that perhaps due to high winds and limited visibility, the team had veered miles off of their original course. Perhaps realizing their mistake, but faced with the bitter cold and the approach of impending night, this may have led them to pitch their tent on the slope of a dangerous mountain. And This was very out of character for experienced mountain climbers, especially their leader, Igor Dyatlov. He was known to be a rather precise and calculated individual, but perhaps the visibility was so poor that evening that he couldn't see how dangerous the spot he selected was. Nevertheless, they chose to stop and camp on a slope called Kolatsiakl. I probably Butcher that pronunciation, Russians out there, please, please forgive me. I'm very sorry. Uh, but in the Mansai language, kolatsyakl translates to the mountain of the dead. Yet again, people, the Mansai are trying to do us a favor and be like as direct as they possibly can about how you should not go on this mountain, bro. Um, but we just don't listen. We're not listening to the Mansai, and I think that we should. We all should listen to the Mansai more. <laughs> um, the whole location of where this group of hikers pitched their tent has left experienced mountaineers today kind of just like scratching their heads in disbelief. First off, they pitched their tent on a slope not smart um second there was a forest a mere 100 meters away which would have been a much safer place to camp but as i said earlier we simply have no idea why they chose this particular spot but i have to assume that they must have had their reasons okay like i don't know what their reasons were but they they had to have had a reason but mountaineers today say that their decision went against all knowledge that experienced trekkers should have. The lone survivor of the hikers um, said that Igor was determined to climb the mountain. He said, quote, Dyatlov probably did not want to lose the altitude that they had gained thus far, so he decided to practice camping on a mountain slope, end quote. But we'll never really know for sure. That's just kind of what the lone survivor is assuming. Okay, so the search and rescue team find this campsite abandoned and the tent was shredded. What stumped them at the time was that the cuts on the tent had not been made by any sort of avalanche like kind of destroying the tent. No, it appeared that the cuts had been made from the inside out. So whatever scared them left them so terrified that they didn't even bother to leave out of the tent's front door but to essentially claw their way out of there like a cat in a bag. Um, In search of the hikers' whereabouts, the search and rescue team went to the edge of the nearby forest. You know, the forest that was 100 meters away where mountaineers today say, like, that's where they should have set up camp. Not where they did, but, like, 100 meters this way. Two of them were discovered initially near a rudimentary campfire in nothing but their underwear. Branches snapped off of a tree nearby suggests that perhaps someone had attempted to scale that tree in search of hikers or their campsite. Um, two others were found between the forest and the tents, suggesting that they had attempted to return to their tent but had succumbed to hypothermia before getting there. Um, And those are the only bodies they were able to find at first because it took another two months to find the other five victims. It appeared this group had survived a little bit longer as there were signs that some of the clothing of those who had died before had been removed and used by others. Some of the people did, in fact, die from exposure and hypothermia and were intact, and that would make sense, okay? Cold mountain, isolated, hypothermia, nothing wild or out of the ordinary there. That is what you would expect. Now, what you would not expect is that some of them were found completely dressed, others were found completely naked, others had horrible wounds on them some of them had no wounds or bruising at all but after an autopsy was performed it was discovered that all of the bones in their bodies had been crushed others their skull had been fractured or crushed two of the bodies were missing their eyeballs one woman had lost her tongue and parts of her face were missing and one victim's eyebrows appeared to have been singed off A few of them were burned as if someone had placed the soles of their feet into a fire. The autopsy revealed that it was believed that they died on either February 1st or February 2nd, so on the third or fourth day of their journey. The official causes of death claimed that five hikers had died from hypothermia and the other four from fatal injuries caused by, quote, an unknown compelling force, end quote. Notably, the bodies had no external wounds associated with their internal bone fractures, as if they had been subjected to a high level of pressure from the inside out. Everyone who studies this case agrees. The nine escaped like something was out to get them and scared them. But what they cannot agree on is what exactly that, quote, unknown compelling force, end quote, could have been. That inquiry into the deaths was oddly and abruptly cut short by the Soviet government, and the chief investigator refused to sign off on its final report. There were two investigators assigned to the case initially, and they were told by the Soviet government to essentially, like, just shut up and close this case, please. Um, And it doesn't take experienced couch potato sleuths like us to determine that, you know, there's something odd going on here. Going on up in my house. All right, so what was this unknown, compelling force by which they speak? What could have caused this level of carnage upon the bodies of these hikers? While some have speculated that it could have been an avalanche or even an attack by members of the Mansi tribe, there is no evidence whatsoever to support these claims. For starters, the tent and bodies were found on top of the snow. There was no evidence that an avalanche had ever occurred there recently. Um, Others wonder if the cause might point to some local Mansai legends of some sort of monstrous creature, an entity capable of tearing people apart with just its voice. The Mansai people, they are real direct people, and they have been warning people for decades, even centuries, to not go to these mountains. They don't even want you to go into the area of these mountains because they believe that the sounds that come from within this mountainous terrain will kill you. They believe that the monster that lives there lets out these horrible shrieking sounds that have the ability to destroy human beings. Recently, a new theory has surfaced one that suggests this mountain pass may be just as deadly as the Mansai name for it implies. But it isn't a supernatural monster that's killing people, but perhaps something much more scientific. In 2014, there were some studies being done in the very mountain pass where these hikers perished that showed that the winds kind of whipping wildly throughout the topography of this region caused a low frequency sound almost like an endless hum the dimensions and the physics of the actual pass uh, leads to something called low frequency sounds which is essentially what infrasound is infrasound refers to any sound that is just below our normal hearing but sound itself it's just pressure waves and vibrations in the air Just because you can't hear it doesn't mean it's not going to have an effect on your body. Your body is still detecting it. Your ears are still reacting to it. Your eardrums are moving and that's still generating electrical signals into your brain. And it affects us in ways that we don't even yet completely understand low frequency sounds can cause your eyeballs to vibrate. It can cause people to hallucinate, often seeing shadows out of the corner of their eyes. And you would imagine that if you're a camper and you already know that you're in this dangerous area and that there's no one, like no one around you, that your mind might already be on edge anyways. And then to see these hallucinations might just be the cherry on the top of this disgusting cake. Um, Low frequency sounds also can fatigue our bodies, and any type of long-term fatigue can cause significant psychosis. In fact, Dr. Travis Taylor, who is an astrophysicist and aerospace engineer, has explained that there were actually several cases on the Mir space station where the Russian cosmonauts were exposed to various vibrations, and it actually caused one of them to have a psychotic episode. One of their cosmonauts pulled a knife out and threatened to kill everyone on board and it is believed that he did that because of this type of long term exposure to infrasound. This makes you think I mean, assuming these cosmonauts are going through vigorous psychological testing to make sure that they're even mentally and emotionally healthy enough to withstand the unique circumstances of isolation in space. So for something like this, like this sort of violent reaction to just kind of slip through the cracks, like oh he's a psycho, but we didn't we didn't notice. Um, I find that really unlikely. I feel like there just have been there must have been something else going on to bring out such a violent reaction. Um, some even claim that infrasound could be used as a weapon, and yeah, that could be very powerful, especially if that technology ever got into the wrong hands. Okay, so back to our hikers. Goodbye, cosmonauts. We're not going to talk about you anymore. Sorry. Um, This infrasonic intrusion, that's what scientists are calling it, is a hypothesis that scientists are currently working on to perhaps finally explain what might have been behind the Dyatlov Pass incident and the death of these unlucky hikers. Another theory is that the Nine could have been victims of a super-secret Soviet weapon being built by the government, that was being tested in this desolate area of the mountains. In 1990, one of the original investigators of the case came forward with a claim that it was only when he mentioned that some of his witnesses that he'd been talking to had stated that there had been, like, these bright orange spheres in the sky that night that it was believed the nine died, that his investigation was, like, abruptly ended by the Soviets. Okay? That's very weird. Okay, um, and at the time, he very much felt that the Soviet government was attempting to hide something. They didn't like what he was tr- like what he was discovering, so they were just like, "Let's shut it down." Um, of course, the Soviet government says that this supposed claim is preposterous, and they would, they would, wouldn't they? They would say that. Um, in two thousand and fourteen, in honor of the victims, a rock memorial was built about sixteen hundred feet away from the location of their campsite. Um, on one final note, um, one of the members of the party, when his name was revealed in the papers, was believed to be someone who had actually stolen the identity of a man who had passed away in World War Two. Now. I don't know if that has anything to do with this case. I literally have no idea. But I did think that it was an interesting little possible tidbit, red herring that I would mention because it is a little curious because like, who was he really? Um, So what do you think? Did the harsh winds of the Diatlov Pass really create a low-frequency sound that caused the hikers to lose their minds and stumble into the wilderness and basically, like, kill themselves? Or could it be that a mysterious monster of unknown origin in the mountain was responsible for the deaths of the the nine men and women who were found horribly mutilated? The Soviet Union was hell-bent on getting this case closed, so... Could there be some sort of corrupt cover-up at play here? Or do you think it could be something else? Let me know in the post I made today on my Instagram account at Mysteries Still Unsolved. I would love, love, love to hear your thoughts, theories, and opinions of today's episode. Thank you so much for joining me today. It is always a pleasure to chat true crime with you each week. Um, If you like what you heard today, and you think more people should hear it, uh, you should leave me a five-star review on Apple Podcasts because that would really just be so peachy. Um, Tell a true crime loving friend or family member about me and don't feel like you need to limit yourself to just family and friends. Okay. Like tell your kid's lifeguard, your pest control solicitor. I mean, they're bugging you. So why don't you just like just try to solve them me? Uh, Your nanny or your gas station attendant, because it just could be Marge. If she talks like this, that's how you know it's Marge. <laughs> um, I want everyone to know about Mysteries Still Unsolved and it and, and that starts with you guys, really. Um, I hope you all have an amazing week, and I hope that you'll join me next week, when together we'll discover, did anyone ever place a useful tip? Has justice prevailed? Or is the mystery still unsolved?